it started as a normal day. What if the truth about the greatest tragedy of your life was kept secret from you? A huge explosion occurred. This is the story of a scandal deliberately buried in the chaos of the Iraq war. What, what really just happened? Listen to NPR's Embedded podcast in its latest series, Taking Cover. My name is Roz Chast, and the book I'm going to talk about is Can't We Talk About Something More Pleasant? Wichita's big read selection this year is Can't We Talk About Something More Pleasant? A graphic memoir by New Yorker cartoonist Roz Chast. As part of the community-wide celebration of reading, the Wichita Public Library hosts a variety of events touching on the theme of aging and caregiving, culminating in a presentation from Roz Chast herself. I had the opportunity to speak with Roz Chast ahead of her appearance in Wichita about her relationship with her parents through their final years, her role as caregiver, and her hope for readers. I'm Beth Golay from KMUW Studios, part of the NPR Podcast Network. This is Marginalia. Okay, so our listeners might be familiar with your book. You know, it's been out since 2016, but it's part of our big read, Wichita. So for anyone who hasn't quite dug in yet, can you give a brief description of the book for our listeners? Do you do you have an elevator pitch? Uh, <laughs> um, this is a book I wrote. It's about the end of my parents' lives. And I was an only child. So this is a graphic novel, not really a novel, more of a memoir about my taking care of them. I was an only child. And uh, as I was writing it, I realized that I couldn't just write about that part of their lives. I had to write about our relationship. So it's really about that as well as end of life issues that I knew nothing about. As I mentioned, Can't We Talk About Something More Pleasant is one of the active books for the National Endowment for the Arts Big Read program. And the big idea behind the Big Read is that it broadens our understanding of our world, our neighbors, and ourselves through the power of a shared reading experience. Now, not only is this a shared reading experience, the subject is a shared life experience. Talk to me about how writing this book helped you with assisting your parents as they neared the end of their lives, but also... Has writing it helped your view of the aging process? Well, the book was written after my parents passed. My father died in 2007. My mother died in 2009. And the book came out in 2014. So writing the book really didn't have any effect on that. I think in a way, it was something I felt very compelled to do because, as I said before, it was a part of life that I knew nothing about. And I think I was sort of shocked by how little this part of life is talked about in our society. I don't know what it is in other societies, but this was really like, it was like it didn't exist. So I guess writing and drawing is a way for me to sometimes understand what things are, what they mean to me. So in that way, yeah, writing it was helpful. Your parents both lived into their mid to late 90s, and it was up to Mm -hmm. you alone to take care of them. You wrote, it's really easy to be patient and sympathetic with someone when it's theoretical or only for a little while. It's a lot harder to deal with someone's craziness when it's constant and that person is your dad, the one who's supposed to be taking care of you. So talk to me about the frustration, even though you wrote this after they had passed, I assume you, you drew and took notes as it was happening. Yes. And I mean, a lot of the material for this book, 
I got from like my own emails, things that I had written to people about the experience. I don't have that kind of memory, but I would go into my Gmail search and put in, you know, the name of my mother's aide or even just my mother. So yeah, I mean, I had a lot of material from that. And also some of the drawings in the book were things that I had submitted as part of my weekly batch to the New Yorker. You know, I would have these conversations with my mother, you know, well before the bus went off the side of the road, but just like these crazy conversations going, you know, shopping with her or something like that. I had a complicated relationship with my parents. I mean, especially my mother, which I wrote about in the book. There was always like some new like wrinkle, you know, and with dementia, things don't get better. <laughs> you know, they get like progressively, you know, more difficult to deal with and in a different sort of society or something, I would have known more about, you know, what it entailed, but it all was such a shocker to me. And also just how little help there was, you know, there was no, everything just, I had to figure it out. So talk to me about your mother's poetry, because you included some of her poems in the book. Yeah. I mean, my mother was a remarkable person in a lot of ways. She was a gifted pianist. She had wanted to be a concert pianist at one point. She was also really smart, um, which she never stopped reminding me or my father about. (laughs) Um, And poetry was one of her outlets. And she liked to write poems and she would send them to me. And these are just a few. You know, I have all the letters they wrote me. But yeah, she wrote about some of the things she wrote about getting older and, you know, that poem that was in the book, you know, it was just like, just a little bit of guilt there. uh, (laughs) I guess I should just drop everything and just move back home. And uh, yeah. I take notes as I read and and I wrote down page 164 and then I had to go back and look at it because that's all I wrote. (laughs) It features your wish for how things could happen when we're truly done. You know, I don't know if you remember your wish for like extreme. Yes, I remember that. Can you talk to me about this wish for extreme palliative care? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's a question of like the whole medical industry. It's not just like end of life. It's just kind of it's about how the end of life, it's so medicalized. And you wonder whether, or I wondered whether, you know, when I got to that point, like, you know, maybe opium would be fun. You know, maybe that would be really a nice way to sort of spend the last year or something like being in bed. And if smoking opium was like too difficult for the old lungs, you know, maybe like ingesting it or something like that. Something to sort of, I'm not saying like you want to be like out of your head, you know, 24 seven, but just things that would be more fun, more pleasurable, a sort of version of what we all do during our day anyway, as like able-bodied people, you know, I mean, there were so many odd things I remember when my mother was, I think she was 97 and uh, things were not going well. And, you know, she had a sort of low grade fever that was going on. A doctor suggested that she have a colostomy operation. And it was like, are you nuts? You know, she can't get out of bed already. Do you think she's going to really enjoy 
having this bag on her that's going to spill all the time. I mean, she's already having enough problems with this and the, the operation and in the anesthesia. And it was just a kind of insanity and a disconnect from what was actually going on with her as a person, you know? So that's what I was thinking about. You know, I'm not saying I'm going to feel, I know how I'm going to feel when I'm that point, because maybe, you know, I will, but you know, just at the time, that's how it, you know, struck me. And it's still, I suppose I'm still at that point in my life where it still seems like a good idea, like something I would want. In the book, after you lament that you and your mother weren't closer and that you had to keep your head down and keep your thoughts to yourself, on on page 179, there's an illustration of a book titled The Big Book of What I Really Think. Is this how cartooning began for you? Did it start in childhood? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think that's from a lot of cartoonists. It's really like, this is really the stuff that I think about and can't express. And so, yeah, I mean, there's there's probably some hostility in it. (laughs) You know, I mean, humor, hostility, they're all kind of braided together. I watched a couple videos featuring you at home. Really enjoyed those. One was produced by The New Yorker and the other one was from the Master Series. And they were created about four years apart. In the video from The New Yorker, the subject of your parents came up and you said, and there was a bit of emotion in your voice, that it was, quote, a difficult thing to talk about. And now that was nine years ago. The book has been out for seven years. Does time heal and, and does it continue to heal as we continue to make you talk about this book? I don't know if it heals, but it fades a little bit, you know. I think there are still things that I just feel like I have to, you know, accept. And uh, yeah, I don't know if time is like a healer. It's just that you have other things that you're thinking about, you know, and it starts to seem a little more distant. There was one point in the book where I teared up and it was at this line. It was February 23rd, 2007, and it was the last time they ever saw their apartment. After your parents moved into the place and you had to deal with what was left behind at the apartment, in the book you've provided photos of the apartment. And I actually kept thinking of that as I watched the video from the Master Series as you shared drawer after drawer of rejected cartoons. (laughs) And you said the sting of rejection never goes away. First, I think the world would enjoy a book of Roz Chast rejected cartoons. But my question, I guess, is, you know, what did your parents think about your work? It was complicated. I think that they were relieved that they wouldn't have to support me. (laughs) I think they were very proud because they were longtime New Yorker subscribers and their friends, you know, who were also New Yorker readers would tell them, I saw Rosie's cartoon and we're like, where? I didn't see one in the issue this week. Did she get fired? You know, this kind of thing. So they were very proud, but they didn't always understand the jokes or the references, you know, because uh, they were from more than even just a generation. They were like a generation and a half or two generations away from me. So some of the references, the, some of the sense of humor was just very different, you know, but they were glad, I think. And, and they were, you know, to their credit, doing what you loved for a living was something that was very important to both of them. And they conveyed that to me, you know, the idea of, oh, you'll never be able to do that. You just should get any job that is offered to you because, you know, that was not, my father was a teacher. He taught French and Spanish in high school. 
And he loved it. He loved teaching. He loved especially French. He was a real Francophile. And my mother was an assistant principal, and she loved that too. So figuring out what you love to do in life was very important to them. I think that they thought I would become an art teacher. So it wasn't like doing something that was so foreign to them that they couldn't imagine it, but it was pretty foreign. I mean, I, I remember watching um, The Tonight Show once with my father. Before the show would go to a commercial, I remember like a lady would like come out like a kind of pretty woman would come out holding a sign or something that would say like, be right back or something like that. And I remember him saying, maybe you could do, you not, not be the lady, but like, maybe you could draw signs like that. Like they didn't really, you know, know what it was that artists, you know, graphic designers or illustrators or cartoonists did, you know. You know, all these years, I've only experienced you through your work and, and these videos that I watched to prepare for this interview. It's the first time I've seen you, like, in real life, if you will. And so, you know, in one of the videos, you oh, were... I'm sorry. No, 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 that's fine. You were... Oh, my horrible face. <laughs> no, but you were, you were giving, you know, in the tour, you were talking about, is it, are they Pazanki eggs? Is that right? Pazanki eggs, yeah. And, they, yeah. you know, they're drawn with wax and then the dye. And so you said, yes. you said you have to think in the negative, which is very easy for me. And you said it with such a wry delivery. You know, I'm like I said, this was the first time I had seen you in, you know, in person. And I, I, I wondered, you know, do you get that sense of humor? Do you get it from your mother? Do you get it from your father? Or is it all Roz? Uh, uh, <laughs> I, I don't know. You know, I think uh, I think I had a kind of weird childhood <laughs> in a lot of ways. So, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. So if you could go back and do something different throughout your journey with your parents as they aged, would you? Or what would you do? That's an interesting question. I wish I had had a little more patience with my father, but I think it is one of these things that, you know, you just do the best you can when you're in it. So I don't know. Do you have a hope for readers, what they will take away after reading this book? I hope that uh, they won't be, you know, bored or that um, if they're going through something like this and they feel very alone, that maybe they'll, you know, see, oh, somebody else, you know, went through this and it was all right. You know, I'll get through it. Well, the book is Can't We Talk About Something More Pleasant? Roz Chast, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. That was Roz Chast, author of the book, Can't We Talk About Something More Pleasant, which was published by Bloomsbury USA. Marginalia was produced at KMUW Wichita and is part of the NPR Podcast Network. Our engineers are Mark Statzer and Torin Anderson. Our editors are Luann Stevens and Haley Krausen. Our producer is Haley Krausen, and our marketing coordinator is Carly Cooper. This is Marginalia, and for KMUW, I'm Beth Golay.